Evening, everybody. Hope you're all doing well. Hope you've enjoyed some of this 80-degree weather that we're having in the hills. Are we out of snow? Are we done with snow? What do you think? Huh? Hopefully, hopefully. I agree. I agree. I'm Dave Westergaard. I'll be with you guys tonight, and uh, it is absolutely a pleasure uh, to be with you. Welcome to the exchange. If this is your place of worship, again, welcome. If this is your first time here, again, welcome. We're glad you're here. Uh, Last week, Evan kicked off a new series for us. It's going to be a month-long series here at the exchange entitled The Gravity of Grace. And we think about this term, grace, guys. We defined it last week as God's unmerited favor to those who are under condemnation. We talked about God's continual grace, his gravity of grace, even in the face of disobedience. Specifically, we took a look at the life of Jonah, a snapshot of the life of Jonah. And uh, even in the midst of utter disobedience, God's grace is still sufficient. This week, we are continuing on in this series as we look at the gravity of grace through the lens of the new covenant. All right, The new covenant, guys, is the gift and it's the promise that God gives to us that he has forgiven all sin and that he has restored fellowship with those whose hearts are turned toward him. All right, The new covenant's a gift. It's a promise and it's the renewal of fellowship. You think about it, guys, the life of our Heavenly Father, Jesus. The life he lived on earth was a life totally countercultural to the society that he lived in in the day and the society that we live in today. It was a life, guys, of absolute, utter selflessness. Wasn't it? Jesus did nothing apart from from complete dependence upon his Father. He didn't speak a word. He didn't take a step. He didn't heal in anything contrary to what his Father desired that he do. And I think about it today. We are a few weeks out from the celebration that we call Easter. All right? A few weeks ago really kicks off our our time of, of, of spring here in the hills. But you think about Easter, guys. When you look at the life of Jesus, the the earthly ministry, the selfless acts continued. It continued through his death on the cross. It continued through his resurrection on that third day. And the death, we all know, we all know, it paid the penalty of sin once and for all. And his resurrection gave each of us new life. New life for all those that have trusted in the work that he did on the cross. A couple of the songs tonight, we talked about that new life. We talked about Jesus inside of us. And that's where we're going to be focusing in tonight. Jesus ushered in for us this new covenant. Jesus brought forth, in in his own words, this new covenant. He was the mediator. He was the fulfillment of that promise. Luke chapter 22, verse 20. And just kind of set the stage for you. Jesus is, is hanging out with those that were closest to him. He was hanging out with his disciples. All right? And he was enjoying what is called the, what we call the Last Supper. As they ended their, their, their time together that night, he, he took a cup, 
First and foremost, he took bread, and that represented his body, and took a cup. In verse 20, it says, In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Not just those in the room, but for you and for me. Jesus ushered in that new covenant, that new promise, that gift of complete, utter forgiveness, and that renewal of fellowship. This new covenant, guys, was predicted in the Old Testament. It was predicted throughout the Old Testament. When the old covenant that God made with Moses was still in effect, this new covenant was talked about all the time. We think about the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel 36, verse 27, and it's going to pop up on the the screen here for us. God, in his own words, says, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to observe my ordinances. Again, what we have here is an awesome, amazing gift. As we move into the New Testament, guys, and, and that's something that we put the name on, all right? This isn't something that, uh, that was, was put forward back in, in the day, the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. We give it that terminology. But as we look at this gift, it is so clearly laid out in the book of Ephesians. Chapter 2, verse 8. We're all very familiar with this verse where it says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's not something we could do. It's not something we could earn. It was a gift given to us freely. It is a gift of God. So we talk about this gift, this gift of salvation, this gift of washing us clean. It's the first part of that new covenant. The second one is the fellowship, the fellowship that was renewed, that Adam and Eve enjoyed in the garden. That same fellowship is also what Jesus ushered in. When Jesus is on the cross been beaten, he'd been stripped naked, he'd been chastised, all right, for each and every one of us. Jesus on the cross, when he had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit for you and for I. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. That is an amazingly significant thing in our lives, guys. Why? That curtain, nearly 60 feet tall, four inches thick, hung in the temple. All right? And that curtain separated man from God's Spirit. God's Spirit hung out in what's called the Holy of Holies. And that curtain separated where the rest of the fellowship worshipped. Once per year on what's called the Day of Atonement, the chief priest would go into this Holy of Holies and he would sprinkle blood taken in with him, blood from a bull, blood from a goat. He would sprinkle that blood and he would spread incense on the Ark of the Covenant. That's the only time that man was able to enter into this Holy of Holies. This curtain stood as a visual reminder of our separation from God. This curtain represented that separation. Today, today, that curtain has been removed. 
That curtain was removed when Jesus died on the cross, ushering in for us that amazing fellowship. Today, God's Spirit still resides in a temple. You know that? God's Spirit still resides in a temple, but it's not a temple made by man's hands. God's Spirit, according to the, uh, Paul's writings in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own. God's Spirit still resides in the temple, guys. It's you. It's me. If you've placed your faith in what Jesus did on the cross. This gift that we've been given, this gift of salvation, This amazing renewal of fellowship is what the new covenant ushered in for us. The significance of that, guys, is the bedrock of our faith. It's the bedrock of who we are. You think about how did we then receive this amazing gift of grace? The Apostle Paul, who we've all heard of if you've spent much time in church, really lays out in, in the book of Galatians, which is where we're going to be hanging out for the rest of tonight. He laid out how we receive this gift and how this gift changes things. But before we dig into that, let's think about Paul. All right? Formerly known as Saul, right? Saul was a self-righteous Pharisee who placed his hope into his own performance. He placed his hope of, of gaining righteousness and salvation on his strict performance and his adherence to the law. That was Saul. Jesus dramatically took hold of Saul on what's called the road to Damascus. Paul was on his way to continue to persecute Christians. He hated those that called themselves a part of the way, Jesus' way. And he wanted to continue to bring them you know, to to their knees. Why? Because they were a threat. They were a threat to everything that Saul held dear. His belief, though strong, was false. And Jesus now, on the road to Damascus, began a dramatic transformation in the life of Saul. Saul, who breathed threats all the time against the Christ followers, to now Paul, who boldly, Proclaim God's grace and the freedom found in following the way, the truth. He recognizes at the time that what Jesus began in his life on the road to Damascus, what he had done for him was a dramatic transformation in his life. He would never be the same. He experienced the wonderful transforming work of God's grace. He understood now this, the concept of the new covenant. He had now been washed clean. And he was no longer the Saul who hated Christians. He was Paul who breathed God's truth into the life of Gentiles. All right? He lays out in the book of Galatians. It's one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. Galatians 2.20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith 
in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Paul says, I've been crucified. You think about that, guys. Paul didn't actually die on the cross, but he's saying, I was crucified. So what died? What is Paul referring to here? And so to answer that question, we need to take a look at our basic design. You know, as, as, as human beings, we are made up of a body, all right? We can see, we can hear, we can taste, all right? We have hands, we have feet, all right? Our body, guys, allows us to relate to the environment that we're in, all right? Some writers call this body our house or our temple, all right? We're also, we also have a soul. That's our mind. That's our will. That's our emotions, it's how we think, all right? Each and every one of us has a body, has a soul. Guys, we also have a spirit, all right? The spirit is really how we relate to God. That spirit that we were born with, though, was, was truly closed down because of sin, all right? That spirit that we were born with was not able to relate to God in the way that he desires that we relate to him because of sin, all right. That's how we were born into this world. That's the default switch that each and every one of us bring forward into this world. All right? and, and we are born with that spirit that focuses on self. That's a spirit we inherited from our father Adam. You know, when Adam and Eve ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the spirit that they had, the spirit that was so outward focused, the spirit that they used that interrelated with God, shut down. Before they ate from the tree, guys, they didn't focus on self. They didn't focus on, hey, what's in my best interest? They focused on their intimate relationship with their Heavenly Father. So outwardly focused that they didn't even realize that they were not clothed. But the moment they ate from the tree, they realized that they were naked. Now they became focused on self. That same spirit is what we've inherited. So I believe, I believe what died with Christ on the cross, when Paul says, I have been crucified, it's that spirit. That spirit focused on self. That spirit focused on, hey, what's in it for me? Some writers call that our sin nature. Call it our flesh. It's the ways that we went about getting our needs met apart from God throughout our life. And guess what? Many of us created some amazing areas of flesh. Ways that we went about getting our needs met apart from God's own provision. But Paul writes that there was a great exchange that occurred. The next verse, next section of this verse says, it is no longer I who live. But guess what? Christ lives in me. Jesus took our old life focused on self, focused on trying to get my needs met apart from him. And that life was crucified on the cross. It no longer has control of us. That old nature that where we couldn't keep from sinning. Guys, as a new creation, that no longer has control of us anymore. 
Then Jesus, through his life-giving resurrection, gives us his life. Christ came to live in us, giving us a spirit that is now in tune with God and his ways. All right? That, guys, I believe is what we received when Paul says it is no longer I who live, but Christ that lives in me. What an amazing example of God's awesome grace. Amen? We no longer are our own. That life died. We were given a new life, totally connected and in tune with God. The one that created this universe, the one who hung the stars, desires to live his life through you right now on this earth, today. We're no longer caught up in trying to get our needs met apart from him. He is our all-sufficient. Does it mean we don't attempt to get our life from other things? There's no question. We attempt to pull life from our world. We attempt to pull life from our bank account. We attempt to pull life from our toys. Because they were never designed to give us life. We've been given that life, and that life now resides in us. We are that temple. Guys, as we look at what Jesus did on the cross, God invites us in. He accepts us right as we are. And guess what? He's pleased with us. Do you believe that? As you walk through your day, as you walk through your moment-by-moment life, do you recognize that God is pleased with you? I hope you do. He's pleased with you because of what he has done for you. He has given you his life. He can't help but be pleased with you. Though our performance at times, guys, falls short. Our performance, where we still try to pull life from this world, falls short. There's no question. But I believe God no longer looks at our performance. He looks at our new identity. He looks at that new creation that he has made, you and I. That's who he looks at. When he sees you, he sees his son. Do you believe that? Do you believe that as you are continuing your walk with your heavenly father, as he continues his transforming work in your life, God sees his son in you. Paul goes on to say in the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God. This new life that we live, he says, in the flesh. That means this life that we live here in this moment, that we are living in today. We've been given, this life can only properly be lived out by faith. God in his absolute sovereignty, though, gives us a choice. He gives us a choice. He doesn't force us, but he desires that we trust him. He doesn't force us, but he desires that we be dependent upon him. That is a life lived out by faith. This world does not encourage dependence. This world encourages independence. 
You think about the Burger King commercial, have it your way. All right? Though they scrapped that in 2015, thank God. But we still remember that, have it your way. That's how our society encourages us. There's a lie out there that says God helps those that help themselves. That's a lie from the pit of hell, guys. God desires in us a life lived by faith. That's a life of trust. That's a life of dependence upon him. Independence, guys, has a real negative connotation to it. A life of independence, guys, I'm just going to lay this out, it's a life of sin. When we live a life independent from our source of life, when we try to fill our things, our life with the things of this world, that's sin. God desires our faith. He desires our trust. He desires our dependence. Is he worth it? Do you believe God is sufficient? Do you believe our Heavenly Father, full of mercy, full of strength, full of wisdom? Do you believe our sovereign Heavenly Daddy is worthy of your worship, of your faith, your dependence? I say that as a question that I hope you allow to sink in a little bit. That's something that maybe at times we struggle. When things aren't necessarily going the way we hoped that they would go, we struggle trusting. But when things aren't going the way you want them to go, where are you going to place your trust? Are you going to place your trust in your ability to figure it out? That may work for a little while, but it's not going to work for long. Or are you going to place your trust in the one that knows? the one that knows the future because he made it, the one that designed the present, the one that put together your past? Are you going to trust in the one who is sufficient? It's a question I would hope that you would walk out of here tonight chewing on a little bit. Paul ends this section with a very, very personal encouragement. As we talked about just a second ago, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me, the object of our faith. The one who we place our trust is the one who loves you and gave himself up for you. Insert your name in there who loved me. This is a very personal statement that each and every one of us can hold on to. He loves you right where you are. He gave himself up for you right where you are today. He knows you. He knits you together in your mother's womb. He knows your weaknesses. He knows your strengths. He knows your faults. And he knows where you shine. He knows the challenges that you're walking through. And guess what? He knows your successes. With all of that knowledge, he loves you. And he gave himself up for you. No matter what you've done. No matter how you feel you have failed. 
no matter the garbage in your life, Jesus died for you. Why? It's real simple. It's real simple, guys. We can make this extremely complicated or we can make it really simple. He died for you because he loves you. He doesn't have to. He chooses to love you right where you are. And he desires, guys, catch this, to use you just as you are. He gave each and every one of us unique personalities. He gave each and every one of us unique characteristics and skill sets. God desires to use each of us right where we are. I know at times I fall in the trap of thinking, boy, it would be cool to have a walk like that person. Boy, I wish I had the faith of, of that, that person. Boy, I wish I could do what that person did. Guys, that leads to frustration. That leads to discontentment. The air of contentment, guys, is appreciating how God puts you together and where he has you today. And he desires to use you your strengths, your weaknesses, through his life-giving presence, through his life-giving persona, God has empowered you and filled you with his spirit to work out his plan and his purpose for your life today, right where you are. Sometimes, guys, that's beyond our ability to understand. That's okay. When we are beyond that ability to understand, guess what? That leads to dependence. That leads to trust. As we talked about, that's a life lived out by faith. When things are going on in your world that are beyond your ability to handle, that may be just where God wants you right now to shower upon you his loving, amazing plan and purpose right where you are. Josh, care you guys want to come back up? As we close here, guys, the gravity of God's grace is so strong. The gravity that pulls us to him is so strong. He's cleaned your slate. He's wiped away your self-focused, your narrow life, and guess what? He's given you himself. He's our source of strength and our abundant life. The book of John, chapter 10, verse 10, says in Jesus' own words, I have come to not just give you life, but to give you life more abundantly. Do you believe that? Through his power, guys, he's given you everything. Everything for life. Everything that you need for this life. And he's given everything for godliness. That's the truth, guys. All that we need for life is found in him. That life lives inside of you if you have placed your faith in what Jesus did on the cross. I hope we believe that. Let's pray. Father God, we, uh, we do thank you for your life. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that um, you have chosen 
to reward us with your amazing gift of salvation and the renewal of fellowship with you, Father God. There's times I know that we believe that there's something that we need to do. Father God, you call us to a life of faith. That's what you ask of us, Father God, that we place in you our trust and our dependence. At times, I know through our day, Father God, we lose sight of that fact. I pray that you just focus our attention upon you. We love you, Father, and we thank you that we can just bask in your love. Amen.